Good morning, everybody, or whatever time of day it is for you as you listen to this podcast. Welcome to Cinema Snorkel. I'm your host and co-host, Carlin Leander. And I'm the other host slash co-host, Casey Leander. And we are very excited today to bring you a fun little conversation about the multi-million dollar film franchise. Jurassic World! I said that weird. A baby raptor? I made a promise we would bring her home. You made a promise to a dinosaur? Yeah. What is that? Biggest carnivore the world has ever seen. Run! See? Not so bad. So, Carlin, let's just our first. Let's just launch into our first question. What did you like about this okay, movie? Let's do it. No, no, no. Let's do a summary. Our best work comes when we do summaries. You think so? I think it's worth it. All right, fire away. Okay. So we open on a scene with the cute little British clone girl being unreasonably mean She's to mean. Claire. She's mean to Claire. Who is raising her. Um, Claire and Owen are Owen. raising her. And also Blue is out in the woods and she has a baby. But then the baby, Raptor, and the girl, Maisie, are both kidnapped. Yeah. So then we flip over to Ellie Sattler and she is following the trail of this plague of locusts. She's tracing it back to this evil corporation called InGen. And they're super bad. And they find out that Dr. Wu, Henry Wu, who's been the mastermind of all these horrible experiments, accidentally unleashed a plague of locusts that's going to wipe out all of the world's crops and essentially kill all of life on Earth. Also, the company is called Biosyn, not InGen. So anyways, they have to go rescue Maisie, rescue Baby Blue, aka Beta, and also get a sample of the locust to prove that this bad bad corporation that's led by steve jobs has to um they have to link it back to them so that they can have a lawsuit i guess and save the day so the rest of the movie is them running around this other island compound where they have their headquarters i sat down in this theater and i had one question on my mind and it was Uh, how long before the dinos run amok and start eating people I'm just, when, how long do I have to wait before the dinos run amok? The until dino carnage. Barney goes horribly awry and starts just, just But they eating didn't people. really, like, there's dinosaurs on the island because it's like a sanctuary island, but there's never a moment when they're out of containment. Oh, no. The end of the movie is when they're all well, out of containment. They, they get herded into the, the... No, no, when they're free in the world after that and swimming next to the whales and flying next to oh, planes. Oh, yeah. Well, they started the movie like that. It's just we have a new mindset. The new mindset is let's embrace dinosaurs. Also, what about in... Were they in Italy where dinos ate countless people? They just ate a bunch of random oh, people in did? the background. Remember in the public square? They were yeah, snacking but- on them like popcorn chicken. We've seen so many people get et by dinosaurs that it's just not even a thing anymore. It's like, oh, dinosaurs eating people? Whatever. Uh, that might be why this movie scored a resounding 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, people hated it. And you know what, Casey? I think people were wrong. Uh. I loved this movie. I thought it was great. And I'm going to defend it till I'm blue in the face because I really enjoyed my time watching okay, this movie. Okay, that'll be fun. I actually, I did enjoy many moments of this film. Okay, so okay. I really did. I really did. Say some things. Say some things you liked. Here's some things I liked. When the, like, kind of feathery dinosaur was chasing Claire into the water. Mm Mm-hmm. That was spooky. Oh, that was a great scene. That was spooky supreme. It really was like, okay, wow, I'm a little afraid right now. This is is scary. She's just, like, slowly, 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 and then she, like, disappears under the water. Yeah, that was really cool. Claire had some awesome escape scenes in this. It was kind of all she did was, you could say, escape from dinosaurs in slow motion. Yeah, well, and be a good mom. So that was good. Okay, I'll tell you what I liked. First of all, cowboys herding dinosaurs. But why? Why were they? Oh, why? it was so cool. It doesn't <laughs> okay, matter why. Why, why did they it need? It totally doesn't matter. Why They only caught one. And who are those other guys? It just seems like the it least It was so cool. And they were um, parasaurs, which are my favorite. It seems They're like so the cool. least efficient way to capture dinosaurs is riding them down on horses. Casey, if you were given the opportunity to wrangle like, a dinosaur from horseback, tell me you would say sure yes. Sure, I would. I mean, sure I would. But what else did I need to be doing that day? You know, Because <laughs> that would be a leisure activity. That that wouldn't be like a, this is the most efficient way to d- do this job 
Okay, so I liked the way that dinosaurs interacted Dinos. out in the world. I'm right. kind of bored with the whole, oh, all the dinosaurs on the island and we're going to run around the island. Like, let's be done with the islands, please. So they had some really cool creative ways that like, oh, the dinosaur black market. I was waiting for them to swing the camera over to those guys from the Star Wars Cantina band <laughs> because I thought the background music for that would have been perfect. Like, it's like, hey, you want a wonga? You want the dinosaurs? And here's the little pit. It was like the weirdest black market. They're like roasting crap. They're like selling you weird dino hybrids. And I thought, am I watching Star Wars for a second? Dinosaur fights, like chicken fights. Oh, I thought it was so cool. Okay. And then the other thing, I'll say the last thing, is that they used more puppets and animatronics in this film than any other film in the franchise. And I think the results were- I can get on board with that. I I, I like that. The reason they did this many is so that the actors could have something real to interact with in the scene, which I think is a huge win for old school filmmaking and That's it cool. plays really That's well. That's cool. On I really feel like we are seeing a revival of that within film. Like people do want to use yeah. animatronics now uh, more. Carlin, given that you loved yeah. how the dinosaurs were just out in the world, were you disappointed at the creative ways they found to get everyone, all the cast, back on an island again with all the dinosaurs? Because 90% of this movie took place on an island of dinosaurs. It took place yeah. in a Jurassic <laughs> Park again. Well, yeah, there that is true. Um, no, I wasn't disappointed. I all loved right. it. It was great. I want to watch it Here's again Here's the right Jurassic now. Park franchise in a nutshell, okay? In the first one, they're like, let's... Okay. I have this dream, I have this vision where we could resurrect dinosaurs uh-huh. and we could build a park where people could come face to face with dinosaurs and it goes horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, yeah. I'll do it again. <laughs> and they do it again, like like five more times, five more times. Yeah. And the reasons they have to contrive yep. to do it again are are ridiculous. Can I just list some of the reasons? Sure. Okay. The first one is a theme park to inspire childlike wonder. I'd go. Like Dr. Hammond says, how could we bask in the light of discovery and not <laughs> act? Okay. Then the second one is like to rescue friends and or loved ones from the park because they bumbled back in. Uh, there's one where yes. they build another park to save the dinos from extinction. Uh, then um, military use, like let's build a park yeah. of d- dinosaurs because th- they could camouflage, like look, it disguises its heat signature. This is the future of modern war fighting. It is. Uh, dinosaur black market, like buying the dinos to sell on like, you know, the black market. Yeah. Who wants a dino on the black market? I don't know. It's not explained. Everyone. Um, Everyone. Medical science, just in in quotes, mm-hmm. just all kinds of medical things. Uh, genetically engineering locusts to take out competitors' crops. And then this one just blew my mind. Literally, we would build a park just to train them as pets. When is that? Well, what is Owen Grady doing to train the raptors? Like, why Why do they have that program? <laughs> Can you explain good that to point. me? What, when That's all, when a good Hundreds point. of people have already that. died in the Jurassic Park, <laughs> and they start a whole, like, raptor training program. But I, for the life of me, I can't figure out what the purpose of that training program was in the first place. Why? Why are they training them? That's really, I don't know. I don't know. But I, here's the thing though, Casey, with all of that in mind, who are the fools? Us. We keep going to see these movies. <sighs> so we are lending our support to these concepts. If it, It's kind of the point though, where the, if the plot of the next one was, we need new astronauts for the space program and we're going to train <laughs> raptors to do it. <laughs> Bring in Owen. Raptors Wait, in space. Can you, I would be like, I'd be like sick. Just get me to the place where they run amok and start eating people. I'm here for it. We're I'm stuck in the on theater. The planet. It's just us and dinosaurs. <gasps> Jurassic Planet. Oh, this oh. is good. And they're all this in space. Gold. And then you know what they could have happen? They could have the hmm. dinosaurs, the most like lethal carnivores, walk so slowly yeah. up to and people. Then you, everything's quiet and it goes. <laughs> it's right behind me, isn't it? And then the people like look at the dinosaurs wide eyed for the. I think we could get a six or seven count of that scene in the next one. What do you think? Absolutely. I think if we had a nickel for every time they did that, we could pay for the whole film. (laughs) (laughs) I also wanted to point out there were several fun little plot inconsistencies to me. Every time a dinosaur walks in the snow, these are reptiles. They're cold-blooded. They can't do snow, but whatever. Uh, every time, but I'd... they also are extinct. So <laughs> that's a good point. 
<laughs> every time a dinosaur teams up with another dinosaur to defeat oh. the evil dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Dinos do that. Wait, don't wait, know that they don't. They, they, but how do they know which one's the evil one? I wish they have friendships. You know what they could have done is had the T Rex look at everyone and wink at them as they flew <laughs> as they flew away in the helicopter. How do you know uh, that they don't do that, Casey? Um, that scene when Claire like did a hardcore like boss fight against the Raptor. You know, remember who Claire is? She was running away from dinosaurs in high oh. heels. In, I know. In, when, when she learned how to fight, she was like in the CIA practically. And she they're like yeah. suddenly these hardened CIA operatives. Yeah, I could do that. You could do that too, given the right situation. Anyone could. All right, here's the crown jewel of, <laughs> of plot inconsistencies, okay? I, I learned from this movie that if you hold up your hand like palm first mm. to any, any given like random dinosaur, you've yeah. got about a 50-50 chance of taming them yeah. and getting yeah. them to respect you. They wink and smile, and that's how you know you're in. <laughs> then they're like, come over for tea, and you're like, like boom, done. you're my pet. Okay, sorry, I just needed to get that out of my system. I wish the characters in the first it. movie had tried the hold your palm out to the raptors method. It might have well, saved Owen, a lot of Owen death. Owen introduced that whole concept because he's the raptor master. So Apparently it works on him. every dinosaur because that's his pose. When a dinosaur comes, he's like, hold up, hold, hold. Eyes on me. Eyes, eyes on, on me. me. Eyes on me. Hold. And they speak English, too. That is incredible. Casey, they're highly evolved creatures. <laughs> I could tell. I, just, I don't know where your problem is coming from. They're highly evolved. Okay, sorry. I just needed all that out of my system. But, but Carlin, on the whole, yes, this was a, it was fun to watch the dinosaurs run amok. Yes. I loved it. What, oh, what would we say the themes of Jurassic World Dominion were? Well, I give the summary, so why don't you say some themes? All right. I think this movie, uh, like all the Jurassics, is playing around with kind of motifs that they keep bringing up. And I actually was grateful because I, I think they're important and pretty interesting questions. So I had three. Let me pitch them to you. Go for it. First, what does humanity owe nature? What does humanity like owe the world around us? But it's extra spicy because we because dinosaurs, you know, like, and what if dinosaurs mm -hmm. were here? Then what would humanity owe nature? And especially if we brought them here. Second, does tampering with genetics change who human beings are? You have mm -hmm. that little girl, uh, Maisie, and she's a clone. And she has that line where she's like, I'm not a real person. So her yeah. character arc, I thought, was the most important, like, character arc of any of the people in the movie. And she's just mm -hmm. trying to figure out who she is, if she's real or not, essentially, yeah. is, is what it yeah, feels yeah, like yeah. for her. And then third is, is it okay to use genetic power? Like in general, like what are the ethics of use of tampering with genes? So those are my three themes. Let's start with the last one. Okay. What do you think the film is trying to tell us about the use of genetic power? Because remember in the very first one, so, so here, I'll just start with this. The first Jurassic mm -hmm. Park, in my opinion, was about big nature. Mm -hmm. And about nature actually feeling uncontrollable. There's nothing we can do if we mm -hmm. unleash this kind of genetic power. Also, a friend pointed out this was made in the 1990s, 1993. Mm -hmm. So our knowledge of genes and gene editing was uh, nowhere near where it is today. Mm -hmm. but, but that aside, it's, the first Jurassic Park is big nature, where nature is big and scary. We're trapped on an island, and it could yeah. get you. And you think you can control it, but it's the hubris of man that's its downfall. Right. And nature's going to crunch you up. Right. The more recent movies want to keep that theme, which makes it a little muddy. They like want to say that nature is bigger than us. But in reality, I think the implicit thing they're showing us is that uh, nature is smaller than us. And we need to be mm. careful. It's fragile. And we owe it to these dinosaurs to protect them. Because if we don't, they'll go extinct. We'll run haywire. Right. It's like a little bit of both. But I definitely feel like nature is smaller in yeah. this one. Which, like you were going back to the 90s versus the present time, we do feel a little bit of like trepidation. Like we could break nature. Like you could right. overpollute an ecosystem. You could cause an entire species to go extinct. You could destroy... Um, you know, global warming, like all these things, it feels like if we push too hard towards technological advancement without considering the ramifications, we can do irreparable damage. Yeah, right. And the locusts were probably a good example of that. Yeah, exactly. Even though nature's this massive force and it is intimidating, we actually have mastered it. We, well, we haven't mastered it, but we could uh, we could still throw things out of balance in a way that's super dangerous for it. 
Yeah, it's funny to me because maybe it's just that it's dinosaurs or maybe it's the implicit worldview of this movie, which is that evolution is king. Like, nature is subject to the laws of nature. <laughs> Super smart. And um, <laughs> Yeah, right. Go on. It's subject to... No, it, nature is subject to its own laws. Right. And so that's how we get dinosaurs because they're the super advanced, like nature has given us the perfect killing machine. Right. But within that worldview, um, anything that we can achieve as parts of nature, as animals, highly evolved animals ourselves, anything that we can produce within nature actually falls within nature. Like we can't be outside the system that we're in. So how, why would we need to limit our own evolution in order to protect um, smaller life forms. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I want to really explore like how the film tackles that. I mean, one character you have consistently is Dr. Ian Malcolm, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Jeff Goldblum, and he is like a chaos. So here's what I can't understand, Carlin. Is his theory like coherent through all the films, mm-hmm. or do they just give him cool lines to say? Yeah, like right. in the first film, he really his character and his motivation are like pretty out there, but they make a lot of sense. He's like a chaos theory guy. Yeah, like he wants to say that life is so chaotic and it's our own hubris that thinks we can control it like at all. But uh-huh. then in this one, they like need him on the island, so he's like a guest lecturer. So I was a little bit like, wait, why is he here? He's a resident philosopher. Sure, they, maybe he's there to like subvert the system or whatever. I guess they tried for that. Yeah. It was a little no, muddy. He is. He's he's planted himself in there because he knows this is a corrupt organization. But if you notice, this isn't like science technology they're all a little bit like hippy dippy like oh we're talking about like saving the dinosaur we've we've done a 180 from trying to harness the power of nature and now we're like how can we live serenely with the dinosaurs and coexist and that's why their whole compound looks and feels different it feels like zen Uh, garden because we are coming to terms with the dinosaurs but of course as there always is there's a side project going on that is about capturing nature and using it to bludgeon other people extracting the power out of the dino like the juice of out of the dinosaurs let's extract the juice out of the dinosaurs that is interesting that is interesting i uh i'm totally picking up those vibes and so what they seem to say is like they're calling out to like a a noble use for genetic power that they Mm -hmm. that they want to say is good and is meant to resonate with people Mm -hmm. Do you think that they're then just saying, but forget it. Don't even think about it. Don't try to do any gene editing, like back it yeah. up and just no, don't mess with it. No, because he uses Maisie's DNA yeah. um, in order to reverse the damage caused by the locusts. But what there's also this whole side thing about where they're going to use her DNA to solve, like, solve all these diseases. They don't throw that out, I don't think. No. I don't remember. No, they don't. They and- just... They find out how to harness it, actually. And where's the ethical line there for the movie? Is it just because Maisie consents to that? Um, or would it be because the dinosaurs are happy and we're not, like, abusing them? Like, one thing that they did was, like, put the two apex predators in the same thing. And, like, oh, it's clear yeah, that right. despite what they say, they don't really, they're not thinking about the well-being of the dinosaurs. And that's yeah. why it's okay that they all get eaten. You know, like, that's why we're like, yeah, see, you brought this on yourself. All the bad guys get eaten. Yeah, right. By the way, if you, okay. if you want to save the dinosaurs, you have about a 0% chance of a dinosaur eating you in this movie. Oh, that's true. But if you want to harm armor. the dinosaurs, you're going to get eaten in the most gruesome way possible. And it really is that stark. Like, no no <laughs> one no one in this movie who's good gets even so well, gets eaten good, by a dinosaur. The good guys know how to stick their palm out at a dinosaur. <laughs> Dang it, that's so, so true. I forgot about that's the palm. Your <laughs> the palm method. I mean, you have like how many at the end? Like eight people that we are supposed to like, and they're standing in between the battle of the two biggest predators, and they all make it. No, they're like, it's not about us. It's this isn't about us. Um, here's my answer to your question. I think they're contradicting themselves. What they want to say is, man has no right to dominion. Um. Like, we shouldn't be able to tamper with the things. And, but then there's always that tempting little, we're tempted to use the power for good. And here's the thing is, because they have an implicit naturalist worldview, they are missing the something that they can't get away from. And that's, we have responsibility yeah. to our 
our actions. We have responsibility to each other and to nature. But that has to come from something external to nature. Yeah, because if right. really if really evolution is all there is, then we are the apex predators because we have the power to create dinosaurs, right. destroy them, um, set them under a volcano. Like we actually are the apex predators. They wrestle with that, but that really is the thrust of the story because we have the power to actually end nature. Right. Um, but they can't just leave it at that because that doesn't feel good. Like, we all know that there's more to it than that. We actually, we should care about the life that we create. We should care about the clones. Like, a clone is a person. Maisie right. is totally a person. The, right. the film raises that question, and it's a personal struggle for her. But they're not really asking. They know what their stance is. Totally. Maisie is a person. Totally. There's no questions about it. And so it's a bit of a contradiction for their worldview. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that goes to our the uh, other theme I brought up, like what does humanity owe nature? Like, yeah, So we have yeah. genetic power. And I guess that genetic power is like a subset of what are we allowed to do with nature? What do we what do we owe the living beings in nature? And I think mm -hmm. you're right. They, they on one hand, are like, uh, we are responsible to these dinosaurs that we brought into existence. And their answer, and this is one question I had was, what does dominion mean in the title? Mm, mm -hmm. What do you? What, how would you answer that? What do you think? What does dominion well, mean? Well, Jeff Goldblum says it a couple times in that, in that first lecture he gives. And he basically says, we have no more right to dominion than any other creature. So interesting. And so the end of the film, I think, they show this like nature montage of like, yeah. Like whales with, comes on. whales with dinosaurs. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's cool. And then right after that, I thought, that is a terrible idea. <laughs> this, is, this is a terrible idea. Because he was going to win. The dinosaurs are going to eat the elephants and kill these endangered species and eat these whales, first of all. Well, but they don't. They're friends okay, now. Okay, whatever. But then second of all, <laughs> what about all the people who are literally going to die because of this? So like our answer yeah. was like, well, I guess the dinos have dom dominion. Here you go, dinos. You can yeah. have it. Oh, you're right. That is kind of what they're saying, like the dinos. But I don't think they don't mean to say that. They're not. They don't mean to say that. The, their answer, I think, as like straightforward as, the, as they give it, is that we should basically let nature do its thing. We shouldn't uh -huh. mess with it. We should go for this state of equilibrium where nature is allowed to exist, but we don't we don't like prefer certain species over the other. We uh -huh. just sort of keep it in holistic balance. But right. I think Carlin, your question is really wise because that's clearly not what they do in other elements. We all recognize that actually people have responsibility towards nature. So what do we owe nature? They, they want to say a state of equilibrium. Like, I think they even resolve that with what they do with Owen and uh, Blue. Like, Blue is mm -hmm. not Owen's pet anymore. They kind right. of, it was like the gimmick they had for that one movie. It was like, and now we've got dino pets, you know? And it was like, oh, sweet, yeah. like train the raptor pack. But then it's like, okay, but they need to let Blue go into the forest and just be wild, wild she raptor. She comes back and says, thank you. Yeah, she oh like nods and winks. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. She <laughs> I love you, Owen. When um, You'll always be my raptor trainer. When Jeff Goldblum says, you made a promise to a dinosaur. Yeah. In my mind, that summed up the first movie versus every movie of the new franchise. Because in the first one, they were actually trying to be so realistic to like what yeah. dinosaurs would be. You would never like make a promise, you know, whatever. Yeah. But now we're at this like right? evolved state of Jurassic, whatever that, yeah, these yeah. dinosaurs are people and we, they have feelings and well, they're but sentient. I mean, yeah, it's a little ridiculous, but they are trying to tread carefully. Like Owen never really trusts Blue. She's always dangerous. And even that last moment, Maisie's like, is she, is she safe? And he's like, no, definitely not. Like she'll eat you. Right. Um, yeah. So they kind of tread, they're trying to tread in both, you know, a little bit. That's the fair. The raptors really never become pets, pets. Whatever, whatever. Can I bring up another theme that I think kind of ties into this? Please do. Okay. It's that, um, can we fix our mistakes? Because mm. if we're going to end on equilibrium, right, we've created a whole, a whole mess where tons of people have died and, and dinosaurs have died and we've messed up big time. And then one thing that they ask for some of the characters is, can we fix our mistakes? Well, I was just going to say the what the film seems to say is you can, you just have to do the next right thing. You can't go back, but you can do penance basically by choosing your next step to be better than you were in the mm. past. And mm. that rings How true. How do you see that Well, Dr. Out. Wu, right, he's done a million bad things. 
but then he decides to use his genetic manipulation in order to save humanity instead. Same thing with Claire. She was the um, chief operator of this yeah. park. She's done. She's made horrible decisions that cost many lives. So now she's focused on protecting people, protecting dinosaurs, raising Maisie. So it's like if you can't change the past, but you can do the next right thing. And, and I know I've been like so harsh. I've just I've been attacking like a raptor. I've been attacking this movie. You know, to their credit, they they do want to suggest like that we should use science um, for holistic methods. And I want to be clear that I, that's a really noble goal. Mm-hmm. Like like I actually agree with that goal. We'll get into that when we talk about our Christian worldview of things. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. There's like, can we fix our mistakes? I mean, to me, that links to the character of Maisie. Mm-hmm. And who she is and her journey for identity. That one doctor actually wants to um, use her DNA to mm-hmm. heal a lot of what's gone wrong with the world. And so there's something redemptive mm-hmm. there. But but can we just shift gears even then to that character, Maisie? Because cause this is one theme, like, does tampering with genetics change who human beings are? And that plays into really mm-hmm. relevant questions we're asking in the real world today, which is why I just thought it was worth noting. Like with gene editing, like CRISPR, we'll right. be able to edit the genes of babies before they're born. Right. So like a clone like Maisie, a human clone, is not out of the picture. Mm-mm. I mean, cloning exists right now. Yeah, totally. It's uh, uh, so far, I believe, uh, illegal to clone a human being. Um, yeah. But I here's what I really, really appreciated, Carlin, is that they took her dilemma seriously. Mm-hmm. For her, it really does matter that she's a clone. And she's asking, like, okay, what I'm not a real person, or am I? What does it mean to be a real person? And I don't think it was accidental that her identity was found when she realized that she wasn't just a project of, like, a team of scientists or something, mm-hmm. but that mm-hmm. she had a mother. Who loved her. Who loved her very much. Yeah. And there's that video diary that she watches. That matters for Maisie. And I actually, I appreciated that because, and we'll get into this with the third section of Christian worldview, but, but right. Like what do we owe children that we create Mm. in this Mm -hmm. world? It's not just dinosaurs. What do we owe the children who are going to result from gene editing technology or potentially, although I I seriously hope not cloning. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there are serious ethical dilemmas there and they matter for people. And so I appreciated that. To me, it seemed like Maisie found her identity in both biology and the relationship with her mother. Mm. Like she needed to know actually who she was. Mm -hmm. It's not just enough to enter the world and be like, you're a clone. She needed to know like a clone of who? A clone from where? Right. How did I come to be? And like in an actual physical, practical sense, that question matters, especially to people who have uh, been adopted and they want to find like their birth parents. That's a very serious uh, journey that a lot of adopted children go on as adults or as even at, while they're still children. And I like that they validated it because it matters. Can I ask you a question? It matters on a personal level about how they think about themselves, how, how Maisie would think about herself knowing who her mother is or what were the circumstances in which she came into being. Does it matter on um, like an ontological level? Is that the right word Ooh, to use? big word. What do you mean by Does ontological? Sound super smart. Like, does it matter more than just how she thinks of herself? Does it actually matter for what she is, who she is? What a question. Um, like her personhood. Yeah, I mean, so like, if the question is, is Maisie the same being as whoever she was cloned from? I think the answer intuitive to all of us and represented implicitly in this movie is what, what you said. No, she's yeah. her own being. But here's that is such a good question, Carlin, because um, it matters because people matter and their well-being psychologically matters mm-hmm. in the real world. Mm-hmm. And that's important. There's something intuitive to this movie where we mm-hmm. go, yeah, we're not just silly putty. Mm-hmm. It's wrong to treat people like silly putty. It's wrong to just edit the heck out of their genes and tamper with them and mess with them. Um, now, here's where I might have, like, the movie did land a little bit also. They want to say, okay, like, a raptor, a female raptor could produce reproduce without a mate. 
I don't know if there's like even an ounce of real science to that. My guess is not. But they want to be like, look, you're just like the raptor. Well, some animals can. Some can and do. Okay, fair. I, that's great. I like. I don't even know that. So that's cool. But the, but they they also want to say like, hey, Maisie, like it's cool. Like you're just like the raptor who could reproduce without a mate. And there's something charming about that. Like they're tr- they're trying to validate her. But I also think. That would be, without the personal human answer of her own mother, that would be a pretty cheap thing to say to a child who's like, who am I? And they're like, well, that raptor reproduced asexually, so, you know, you're good. Like, right. <laughs> like you're fine. You're just like the raptor. Like, on one level, it's touching if the other answers are taken seriously. Right. That would be horribly dismissive and calloused if Maisie didn't get a better answer than that. Because animals are different than people. I think that's completely true, and I don't think we can escape that. And the film, even though they're trying to be all evolutionary, they can't escape it either. What do you say we move on to those third uh, questions? Like, what was a Christian yeah. worldview going to say about each of these themes? Yeah, we better. We better do that. I think on the theme of what does humanity owe nature, Carlin, I think you nailed mm-hmm. it. I did? In the sense that, yeah, well, it totally. In the sense that if all you believe is that People are just made of the same stuff as everything else. There's no qualitative difference between us and nature. Mm-hmm. Then on what basis can we actually say we owe nature anything? Yeah, right. On what basis can we say there is nature versus us? Right. How are we outside of nature if we're a product of it? What are we, essentially? Well, and owing, right, wrong, all of those terms, they don't exist within evolution Nature, literally how it is, (laughs) exactly how it is, is how it is. And so the questions of right and wrong don't really apply to that. Right. So like in Christian philosophy, we would, we would probably consistently use this to point people to the idea that maybe there's more to the story than just nature. Mm -hmm. So like my dear friend, Zandra Carroll, Mm -hmm. she's one of the coolest people alive in this world. If if you're, if you just want to hear an amazing story of someone who has worked in conservation biology and has traveled literally everywhere and lived overseas, go listen to Zandra. Follow her on Facebook, follow her on Instagram. Zandra, you're cool. Shout out to Zandra. Her question is like, what's the rational basis for conservation biology? Because in a very practical sense, like we talked Mm. earlier about, like just let nature be wild, but like not too wild. Let nature be in a state of equilibrium. Zandra's question is, what does that mean? Like, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. Because if there's no basis for how things should be, then we have no basis for conservation biology outside of our own just desires. Because nature would eliminate things automatically. Totally. Nature would and has. Why do we decide this this is worth conserving versus this is a sacrifice to be made towards evolution? And if the answer is uh, either like, well, humanity uh, caused this, so we should fix it. I mean, even there, I think, as we've said, it, you don't have a great answer for that. Because we're the apex predators, so we, yeah. what we say goes. <laughs> but Zandra would say, like, from a biblical perspective, so, like, in the book of Genesis, God puts human beings in the Garden of Eden, and he says, rule the earth and subdue it, have dominion mm. over it. Mm. But that's actually meant for the flourishing and well-being of the earth itself. And so conservation needs a set of values like that. And Christianity gives really one of the only coherent value sets at a, at a baseline that can, that can make sense of conservation as a project. Like mm. we want to encourage biodiversity. We want lots of different beautiful things. And we want some things that aren't beautiful, that are ugly, but uh, necessary or, or just a part of this system that God created in the world, like the world itself then is imbued with value. And so it matters what we do with it. Can you draw that link a little bit clearer? Why Why does it matter? Like, Yeah, when God created everything, he sat back and he said, mm-hmm. it is good. So nature is not mm-hmm. valueless or nature isn't neutral. Nature actually has a default setting of being mm. good. Hmm. And so Christians would believe that things have gone horribly awry, much like Mm -hmm. Jurassic Park of all of creation. And now we live in a a fallen state where there's death and there's suffering and there's all all sorts of horrible things that happen. But at a baseline, what God created is good. And so it's worth preserving that balance. Like all this stuff with the circle of life or like 
or like keeping nature wild. Like there's value to keeping nature uh, in a state where we observe its incredible and stunning diversity. That's our right. job, actually, as people. Whereas evolution would say, we got to preserve the organic movement of life because that's going to produce the next step in evolution. The thing with evolution is that it's completely silent on the question at all. Evolution says nothing about what we should do. It might tell us something of how we got here. And by the way, there's a lot of Christians who ascribe to different elements of evolution. So if like if you were on the fence and you're like, I can't believe in God because evolution. I mean, I know a lot of Christians who would say the method God used to bring this biodiversity or bring creation mm -hmm. into existence is up to him. And we can follow the science where it leads on that, you know? Yeah, no problem with that. Yeah. That should be no impediment to believing in a like a God that got this whole thing rolling and cares about it. And even one of my favorite professors, there is like a subculture of animal rights within Christianity that a lot of people don't know about. And I think that that's determined by the politics of our age and different political alliances that Christians have found themselves in, or at least evangelical Christians for a while. Yeah. But like one of the professors I respected the most at my alma mater, he was a pescatarian, except where his meat had been like ethically raised, like grass fed. And cool. you wouldn't expect it from this guy, actually, at, at first, because his values were very, like, socially conservative. But he was uh -huh. living out a consistent biblical worldview in the sense that he didn't want to eat meat that came from a mass-produced factory farm where they just slaughtered all these cows yeah. and they lived their whole life in suffering and then die for our food. That's really cool. Um, I've been learning about the Old Testament laws and how the meat that would be consumed by Old Testament Jews had to be offered in a sacrifice first to Yahweh, any any animal that's slaughtered apart from being offered as a sacrifice and then consumed was considered murder. And, and what that did was frame the mindset of the people wow. to value the life of animals and to give it back to the creator of them before, um, before consuming it for themselves. Wow. So it's not just, here you go, mankind, you're free reign on the earth, take what you want, however you want to deal it out it's fine it's like no the earth is god's and you're going to offer it back to him before you consume it for yourself and then wow. receive it as a gift from him every time well the first in genesis the first animal deaths ever recorded are actually god killing animals yeah. to clothe adam and eve right after they sinned yeah because they're kicked out of this paradise garden and into the cold hard world and it's like God is then providing, but you can feel the sacrifice in mm. that action. Mm -hmm. It's actually meant to be heartbreaking and tragic mm -hmm. that animals now, and for almost all of human history, have needed to die to keep people alive. And I do think a Christian worldview places humanity in a hierarchy above animals, mm -hmm. and yet they have value. And, and when animals die, it's almost like, it's a terrible sacrifice and it shouldn't be made lightly. Mm -hmm. And almost what you're saying, Carlin, with the Old Testament or the Jewish laws, where they would sacrifice animals first to God, almost as like a, a reflection of that, like, like remembering in the garden how God was the one who gave them like almost like a practical or a limited authority to do this kind of a thing. I, that's extrapolation, but I think it's, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. I agree. But we know that the end game is to reverse that and go back to the way God created it. And I yeah, just earlier I right. was thinking about in Romans 8, um, it says, For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Hmm. It's like... Creation suffered because we rebelled against God, but in the same way that God has created an opportunity for us to be restored to him, creation will also be restored um, yeah. in that final day with, along with us. Right. It's not just like we're waiting for God to just zap us up to heaven uh -huh. and then obliterate this whole show. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. He's going to redeem it because he, he cares. Or like, uh, gosh, we could keep going on this theme, but like in the book of Jonah where Jonah's sent to the evil town of Nineveh and he's sent to tell them, hey, your destruction's coming. You should turn around and repent because yeah. you're, you're doing so many evil things that God has taken notice. Yeah. And Jonah, long story short, doesn't want to go to Nineveh because they're his enemies. He hates them. Mm -hmm. But God says, shouldn't I have compassion on this city mm. where there's 
you know, thousands of people who don't know their right hand from their left hand and just as many animals. Yeah, he mentions the animals. Yeah. I love that. So there's a like value system to make sense of hierarchy. And I found Jurassic World's answer of like, let's just let the dinos have dominion unsatisfying because a it's internally inconsistent. Like clearly they say humans have a responsibility to animals. But I also found it inconsistent because they're ignoring the responsibility people have to other people to maybe keep them safe from dangerous <laughs> predators that are now just like, like it, it just feels patently irresponsible to like s- create dinos and then just send them into the world and then just shrug our shoulders like, well, this is how it is now. You know, yeah. like, good luck, everybody. They really do. On on one half, they are nailing it because they're like, we are responsible for breeding these dinosaurs to be weapons of destruction. We're responsible for the lives lost and we're responsible for the creatures themselves and the lives yeah, that right. they live. But they don't follow it all the way through because they still are letting lots of people be just chewed up by dinosaurs and like why and why stop there? Like why stop at this point? Like, okay, I guess we'll just live the rest of our lives like doing other stuff. Yeah. Well, that's because (laughs) there's room for a whole new trilogy. Jurassic Universe. (laughs) Jurassic Planet. I will watch it. Um, I will too, and we'll do a (laughs) podcast on it. Heck yeah, we will. (laughs) Okay, hey, I got a science question for you. What does a Christian worldview say? That's <laughs> not a science question. What does a Christian worldview say about tampering with genetics then? Like like in Maisie's story, what would a Christian worldview say to that? I feel like we could combine our second two themes of like, is it okay to use genetic power and what does it matter with human beings? I mean, when you have a worldview that places mm-hmm. a priceless value on the image of God that is in each and every person, it just changes what you're going to do scientifically when you mess with them. Science is all about trial and error. And Christianity would emphatically say, you're not allowed to do trial and error on people. Like people who can't consent, who don't have a say in it, they're going to be born, they haven't been born yet. So like to the extent science needs to be like, perfected first with a lot of mistakes, you don't get to do that on people. Because they have to give their consent? Sure. I mean, at a minimum. Consent is necessary. It might not even be sufficient. Yeah. We still probably should say there are things you shouldn't experiment on people, even if they're like, sure, heck, why not? And why not? That's a question that a materialist worldview has no answer for. We're made out of the same silly putty as everything else. So why in the world wouldn't right. you just do all this stuff? And I think Jurassic Park and Jurassic World should rightly fill us with a little bit of fear around what we could do and what we could create. Right now in the world, there is a lot of debate and discussion around what do we owe children? What do we owe people? What is it okay to tamper with about ourselves? This is controversial, but it shouldn't be. When people think of Christian sexual ethics, what they, I think, need to remember first is this principle, that every child has a right to relationship with their biological mom and dad. Wow. Wow. Now, immediately, there's going to be a lot of situations where that's not possible right. or not advisable, right? Right. And so we need to be careful with that. But, but that has to be our baseline because when that doesn't happen, children rightly intuit that something has gone wrong. They, they sense mm-hmm. like, where's my dad? You know, where's my mom? Right. It creates massive internal chaos which, as you said earlier really well, that matters in the world. Totally. It matters in terms of like identity formation, but it also just matters in terms of childhood development. We know this from decades of studies that are almost completely unanimous on this point. If you take a child's biological father out of the picture, if he's not around or he's not loving, mm-hmm. that child statistically, it's not destiny for individual children, mm-hmm. but across the board, those children tend to do worse. In terms of education, in terms of drug use, in terms of incarceration, all of these factors after factor after factor, they suffer when their biological dad's not in the picture. Mm -hmm. And the same for Mm -hmm. biological moms. Now, that's not to say that adoption or other family setups aren't beautiful, but we need to remember that those are solutions to something that that's gone wrong. This is the, the sticking point because it's not invalidating to individual people suffering with family disruption to say that it should be deeply validating to the longing 
that children mm-hmm. will feel towards this. And it should validate those family members and even friends in some situation who step in and form an amazing family unit. Okay, but I say all of that to say, is it okay to experiment genetically on human beings? I think one of the primary answers we should say no is every child has a right to their biological mom and dad. We're not raptors. Like we probably shouldn't just clone ourselves and women have a genetic replica of themselves that they carry to term. They're depriving that child at a minimum of a relationship with their father. An evolutionist might be able to say, well, it matters because society will be impacted negatively. Oh, sure. Children without fathers become criminals. But the Christian would say it matters on the individual level. It matters to the to the kid. And their suffering has weight in eternity. Right. Yeah, I know that's a contentious debate. So I think the contention will be there because this stuff impacts a lot of people. And so I really do want to be sensitive to that. I just feel like the Christian ethical position isn't always articulated very well. No. Like people are like, oh, man, you're just anti all of this stuff. But we never really explain why, which is that children have a right to their mom and dad. Yeah. So then on that third question, is it okay to use genetic power? I think Christian ethics would not say like we should never use any kind of genetic technology. Like some Christians will be like, no, don't. If God wanted us to do X, Y, or Z, he would have given us, you know, like, like if God wanted us to fly, he would have given us wings. Like he didn't want us to pick our noses. Then why does our finger fit? (laughs) If God didn't want us to eat animals, then why are they made out of meat? (laughs) Checkmate. (laughs) So that's a simplistic reading given everything we've said. Like God actually expects humanity to design and develop. That's why science is a really good enterprise. And so many Christians in the world have been scientists because it's okay to use creation for the betterment of people and the environment. Mm. So it is okay, but Christian ethics will give us some bright lines. Like our design isn't an accident. It matters. Yeah. And other worldviews might, might just not think of that angle and it will lead to abuses with genetic technology on a much higher level. It's good. What about your question, Carlin? What, is, what does Christianity say about people uh, fixing their mistakes? There's a sense in which humans are able to open Pandora's box and create lots and lots of destruction. And we look back and there's no fixing it. Some things can't be fixed. Many things. And honestly, that's the story of Genesis, right? It's like humans introduce disobedience and rebellion into the world. And in one instant, all of God's good earth that was meant to just exist in glory and awesomeness is just thrown into a a state of chaos and disorder. And that's what happens to a lot of the characters. They, They make terrible mistakes. And the truth is, can't undo our mistakes. And I think, I don't know any other way around it, but what Christianity would say is, there is someone who can restore the goodness that was lost and forgive the trespass against it. And the only person that could do that is the one who created it all. And so God does the impossible. He forgives sin. <laughs> like, how could he do that? Why would he do that? If he created a beautiful, good world and his creatures stamped on it, like, why? But it's because he's just overflowing with this crazy generosity and a desire for restoration. And I would argue that's actually just part of his nature is not just to be good, but to restore the wayward son. Like that is part of his heartbeat. He he's a God of forgiveness. Like that's even in his nature. And um, and he makes a way for that to happen. And we actually can't do a finger like we can't lift a finger about it. We need to be rescued. Um, And that's what christianity gives us is a rescuer yeah and there is like i don't think christianity says this is why evil's in the world um but i do think there's a silver lining that occurs when people take god up on that Mm. offer and you actually see a life turned around i mean the guy that uh founded the ministry i work for chuck colson is a perfect example they called him nixon's hatchet man he was in the richard nixon administration and he made up so many lies about people in the press. He was like the master of dirty tricks. Like he slandered so many people. The line about him in the newspaper was, Chuck Colson would run over his own grandmother to help Richard Nixon stay elected. Wow. After he, so he went to prison, long story short, as a result of mm-hmm. Watergate, and turned his life around. And out mm. of that came his ministry, Prison Fellowship, which advocated on behalf of incarcerated people for the rest of his life and and reached out to them with hope 
oh man, like his life, the phrase that we use at the Colson Center is a life redeemed, like a life devoted to mm-hmm. sleazy tricks turned into a <laughs> life filled with compassion for people who are in prison. So like, I love that. And, and yes, you could even see that with like a Claire in Jurassic World uh, mm-hmm. Dominion. So it's like, I wanted them to spend more time maybe on the characters and the, the people, but, yeah. um, but I do think those themes fit really well in there. The thing they're missing is the forgiveness and do good works for the mm. Christian. It comes as not a, okay, I got to hurry up and do good and good enough things. And I've got to do this much good to compensate yeah. for the bad that I've done, which you will lose. You cannot win that game. Mm. But the, what the Christian worldview says is you've been forgiven a debt, a debt that you could never ever in a million years repay. And your response to that forgiveness is just gratitude yeah. and it transforms your heart so that now you desire to do good yeah not i must do good to do penance i actually i see what goodness really is and now i want to do it out of a response of of gratitude yeah. man i think that's so good and it's only possible it only makes sense if there's a god at the control wheel of the universe who actually will make everything right again yeah that's yeah. the only version of that story that makes yeah. sense or, or like why you would trust that process is if it's actually all going to be okay and actually could be okay yeah. at the end because there's a God. That's not a story that makes sense if we just invent it to soothe ourselves. <laughs> right. It's too easy. It is. You know? It's scary easy. It's humbling. Like, wait, that's it? I can just be forgiven? And that's such an huge statement that it should really knock you off your feet yeah and it's both easy and freakishly difficult as anyone who's ever apologized seriously to someone else for something knows it costs you everything that is hard to do yeah you just gotta die you have to let your pride truly die to offer apology to someone so carlin jurassic world dominion (laughs) i was thinking we could end this podcast by making dinosaur sounds and then in the background we could play like a song okay a A jurassic Jurassic song song. that is evocative of jurassic world set the scene you're in okay you're you're looking across the plane you're looking across the plane here and what do you see Could be a dinosaur. Could be a dinosaur fused with a monkey. This has been great. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to Cinema Snorkel. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> really proud to bring you this More episode. More snorkely goodness. <laughs> <laughs>